the marinade. There's no O in marinade. Let's try it one more time. Ready? One, <laughs> two, three. <laughs> the marinade. Marrow. Marrow. Marinade. Bone marinade. The marinade. The marinade. With Jason Earl. Listen to the rain of falling. Welcome to the marinade with Jason Earl, a free-flowing conversation about the creative process with creative people. This is episode 58, and our guest is Daryl Scott. Daryl's biography is two-storied to describe here, but uh, let's go over some highlights. He's lived quite the life and uh, is quite the accomplished songwriter, singer, and player. He wrote huge hits, uh, Travis Tritt's It's a Great Day to Be Alive, The Dixie Chicks' Long Time Gone. He's written with the likes of Verlin Thompson and Guy Clark, and the list goes on and on. He was a member of Robert Plant's Band of Joy. Yes, that Robert Plant with uh, Patty Griffin and Buddy Miller. He has just lived an extraordinary creative life. We were originally supposed to catch up at Spirit of the Swanee Music Park during Swanee Spring Reunion. Unfortunately, the COVID-19 crisis forced the cancellation of that wonderful event, so Daryl and I caught up by phone. Uh, recently to discuss living a creative life Um, his new album daryl scott sings the blues of hank williams which came out on april 26th and is absolutely outstanding give that a listen then go pick up a physical copy from your local record store or darylscott.com everyone it is such an honor to present my conversation with daryl scott she ain't around This is Jason Earl from the Marinade Podcast calling for Daryl. Yeah, this is Daryl. Hey, man. Is now a good time to talk? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Thank you so much for doing this. This is a huge honor, and I really appreciate it. Oh, no problem, man. My pleasure. Thanks for uh, the interest. Yeah, I wish we could have caught up at Swanee. Obviously, it's not uh, in the cards at the moment, but... um, I want to talk a little bit about about Swanee and about some of those connections that you have with some of those great people that we're going to play there. But also, I really want to talk about this record. I've been listening to Daryl Scott sings the blues of Hank Williams, and it's just delightful, man. It's absolutely wonderful. Oh, cool, man. I'm glad to hear that. We're just at the front end of uh, really hearing 
back from folks, and um, and it, that's good good to hear. What is it about Hank, Daryl? Like, why you know you've you've done all these different things. You you've played with so many different people. You've written so many incredible songs, and of course, of course, um, uh, released your own great records. What what is it about Hank that endures? Well, I've, there are a few things. First, it's the songs. Yeah. Uh, great songs like that just stand the, te- uh, the test of time. Uh, they don't. They don't. They're not only significant in late '40s and early '50s. They go right on through. Uh, and uh, Hank's songs are that way. He has huge amounts of songs. Pretty much his whole catalog will stand the test of time. Already has if that's roughly. 70 years now, for God's sake. Wow. So, um, and then the other thing about Hank songs, uh, and maybe great songs in general, um, they can handle a lot of treatments. Mm. Uh, and so as uh, musical uh, fashion comes and goes, like clothes fashion, uh, you can treat Hank songs in all sorts of different musical trappings. Um, you know, Tony Bennett has recorded Hank song and I know punk bands have obviously country, uh, rockers, folk, uh, bluegrass, Cajun, um, you know, in terms of those musical, um, dressings, uh, all can handle and do handle and handle well. Uh, Hank Williams songs. Uh, so, uh, that's a, a testament to their strength. Uh, and um, and in terms of why for me, uh, it's certainly all those reasons, but it's also that I grew up on Hank Williams music. My dad was a major Hank Williams, more than a fan. Uh, he literally tried to sing like Hank. Mm. Uh, and so, I mean... For someone who tries to sing like Hank, they they know they're going to play like everything that Hank has. You know, like Elvis impersonators probably know the full gamut of uh, of Elvis. You know what I mean? Different mm-hmm. periods of Elvis. Uh, Hank didn't get to live long enough to have that many different periods per se. Um, although there are at least two or three. Um, but uh, I got I came through Hank Williams to Hank Williams music by way of my dad, who idolized uh, Hank Williams. So I heard Hank, uh, and not just the hits either. I mean, my dad had everything. Uh, so I heard pretty much everything as a child, and um, so the Hank has a place for me in particular. But also, I when I came to this record, or any time I do a Hank song, uh, I always want to find a new way to do it. I want to find my way to do it. Um, and what I recognized in Hank is blues. Uh, not just the musical trapping, also another one, uh, musical clothing of blues, but also, uh, of course, the lyric uh, of Down and Out and, you know, uh, you know, in some cases for Hank, the Down and Out had a uh, a lightness to it, you know, mm-hmm. uh, like in Hank's songs, he'll reference, you know, going to the river, you know, 
to drown himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and um, that shows up in a lot of Hank songs. But for some reason, uh, sometimes it's heavy uh, and sometimes it's light uh, about that. And just like, to me, the blues can be so heavy, but there's a lightness to blues in that Evidently, the blues doesn't kill you because you're sitting there singing. Right. Uh, the, the blues person is sitting there singing, witness, bearing witness to not having been, you know, caved in by the blues. It's almost like part of the way out of the blues is to sing and write about it and feel better. And I think Hank Williams, that's another connection to the blues uh, that I have with Hank. It's, is It feels better when you go through the hard blues things he's talking about and you can come out the other side singing about it or writing about it the complexity of that the the fact that he's able to take these really heavy themes and there's still that lightness to it and and maybe even some hope uh to it yeah you know and and the fact that he did that before he even turned 30 do you have any sense of like how someone that young was able to to be so complex and and still write songs that today we're refashioning and revisiting? Yeah, yeah, that's a good good question. I don't know what happens, uh, you know, to folks. I mean, I've been under 30 myself for at least 30 years. Um, And now I've spent 30 years being over 30. Uh, And I know that, um, you know, Hank's childhood was tough. I mean, I think he had physical ailments and and health type things, even as a kind of skinny kid type of deal. Um, Rough times, depression era. His mom ran a... um, you know, kind of a, I wouldn't call it a flop house. I, I don't know what to call it. I wasn't there, but I know there were a lot of uh, people passing through Hank's life just, you know, because his mom ran a boarding house or folks kind of on the down and out type of deal. Uh, I think alcohol alcoholism played strong in there probably pretty early on. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think so there's... There's plenty of suffering, I mean, uh, right there in a childhood or, or Hank growing up. Right. Um, you know, there wasn't a father uh, that I'm aware of that was around like the, his mother was. His mother was everything. And so that'll produce uh, a certain kind of something in somebody. Those hard times are going to bring it on. And then uh, we, we all have this thing called a... Uh, imagination mm. uh, that that comes in and kicks in and sometimes in the creative brain um, the creative brain can get into places that the person um, may not be able to get into but through their creativity and their imagination they can go into almost into this other part of themselves uh, that's deeper than their normal self or more religious or uh, spiritual than their normal self or a little more badass and cussing and angry than their normal selves. So sometimes 
a creative expression is a different place than the normal the person is uh, the rest of the time. There's something about, I wouldn't call it a trance, uh, I wouldn't call it a meditation, but it's something like both. Um, and I wouldn't call it just pure imagination either. Like just making up shit, you know, it's not, it's not exactly that either. But for certain artists, they can get to that place. Um, I get to it sometimes myself, uh, very much so. I know the difference between my creativity and me and my normal world. For example, I'm a lot stronger and braver in my creative outlet than I am in regular life. Mm. Um, and, 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 and I think maybe for folks like Hank, um, there was a capacity almost like to turn uh, something on when it's time to hone in on a song or if a song is on top of you, you know, like uh, inspiration-wise that just says, hey, pull over if you're driving a car or go to the other room if, if it's too loud in this room with people. There's a song coming out, so pay attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what... So I think something in those lines is what makes somebody, you know, uh, who's, you know, 23-year-old Hank or uh, a 25-year-old Bob Dylan or, uh, you know, it it does something to folks. Mm -hmm. Uh, For certain folks, it seems like they can get to a creative place that they're normally not supposed to be in. Uh, like they're too young for that, or you, at least you could say that, except there's the song that shows that they're not too young for that. Mm-hmm. You know, or there's the writing that said, no, they're not too young for that. Um, so it's a funny thing, this creative uh, expression is, is, is in almost another gear or another part of ourselves than the, the self that walks around, you know, the earth, bored or thinking that they're hot shit or that they're worthless or all those other things the expressive self uh is is almost in another part of ourselves and that's my only explanation to try to figure out why uh such heavy and brilliant stuff would come out of a cat like uh, hank williams and it makes uh, me... at such a young age yeah it's it's mind-boggling to me because it, it makes me wonder if it and I don't know, I'm on a bit of a spiritual journey right now myself, so I'm, my brain's kind of wired to think this way, but it makes me think about, like, is there something in our subconscious that maybe is left over from a previous life or something that that people like Hank Williams are able to tap into at such a young age that maybe some of us aren't ready for at that age? Right. Um, I don't know if it's, you know, former lives. I don't know if it's, uh, old soul style stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what it is. I just know that I see the evidence of it, meaning mm-hmm. uh, that a young Hank Williams is writing way past his um, what you'd think he would be able to pull off. And by the way, consistently. Yeah. So he doesn't just get a couple of great songs out. He gets like, um, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of great songs out running the gamut from, you know, something as light as Hey Good Looking to something as heavy as a song called Alone and Forsaken. Um, 
and and all of them are brought you know to you know uh the best of what you could do with hey good looking it's mm. sitting right there in the song hey good looking and the best you could make alone and forsaken is sitting and write it there with alone and forsaken you know so uh he could you know make it light and fun and groove and dance and entertaining and he could bring it right down to you know a casket in a church mm-hmm. uh and a child inside that casket you know right. uh, it just goes and goes and i just um you know yes my dad was a fan so i was getting uh forced beatings <laughs> of hank williams you know as as you know a six-year-old a four-year-old 12 and all that kind of stuff uh but i also saw the um you know, and what stayed with me was, it's to this moment and beyond, is uh, the full, you know, human, great songwriting sitting there, uh, the great artistry and the timelessness of it. This is 70 years that we're talking about. 70 years. Yeah. And we're uh, we're still talking about Hank Williams. I'm going to, you know, I'm putting out Hank Williams records, and they'll be putting out Hank songs and records, you know, on and on and on. That's what I believe, because uh, yeah. it's it's not slowing down, and it's been seventy years. Right. You mentioned the feeling stronger and braver in your creativity than in your real life, and I wonder, yeah. is that something that you've you've been aware of for a long time? Is that something that's always been true of you? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, um, I've had to try to grow into my creativity or expression to where they, my regular life, whatever, and my creative life are, are trying to walk the same walk. Mm. Uh, yeah, I definitely, um, wrote stronger stuff, uh, as a guy in my twenties than the, than the performer or songwriter or the singer or could pull off in my 20s. Uh, so, you know, and check out the difference. When you're writing, you're probably isolated. You're probably in your room or out in nature or whatever. You're kind of in your own world. And then as soon as you step out into the world of society, whether that's an audience or a head of a label or or a a gig or whatever now you're sharing that thing you did very isolated and very privately now toward you know the world so those are two different places yeah totally and uh it's taken me decades to try to even put the two almost operating in the same room (laughs) well it's like how do you right it's like you you kind of want to compartmentalize those two things because they are different but at the same time especially for you who is a full-time creative person that's what you do (laughs) is that you know being able to being able to to compartmentalize those worlds and then allow them to blend when they have to that's a tough balance to strike yeah but it's it's for me, in my creative walk, I've had to not only strike that balance, I've had to follow the lead of the braver, uh, less fearful, creative part of myself. Mm. So the creative part of me is is 
brave and courageous and telling it like it is. And then the other part of me that goes out into the world and faces the world might be quiet and shy and reserved and, you know, please don't bring any attention to me. You know, I just like to blend in here if you don't mind. And um, the, the stronger part of myself, that creative part has basically, I've been in, in a, uh, a teaching uh, lesson to myself about it for decades, which is, hey, dude, says the creative part. Why don't you be as brave as I am over here when I write a song when you get out on stage? Mm-hmm. You know, almost uh, in a cartoon form, it would be the uh, good angel and the bad angel, you know, mm-hmm. uh, on the two different shoulders. That would be one way to sort of make a comic book out of this. But it's... Um, to me, the creative walk is one where, for me, where I am as brave and courageous and as relevant in regular, you know, uh, outer life, uh, what I show to the world, as what I am in my inner creative life. I'm, I'm trying to put the two together uh, as, as a general goal as a general way of being, because when they get too compartmentalized, um, they can be very uh, helter-skeltery and, and kind of uh, timid and uh, unsure and afraid and all that kind of stuff. And I'm trying to get over all that kind of crap uh, and follow what I know is, is the stronger and better, truer essence way of being, which is what where I am when I'm a creative being. So, um, you know, the shy me uh, has to give way to the the, uh, louder, stronger, more courageous, uh, creative me. Um, And that's basically what I'm up to. The other thing is, you know, I'm getting, I've turned 60 this last year, and a 60-year-old needs to be stronger than uh, about these subjects than I was at 20 years old. Mm-hmm. I understand why I would hide out as a younger man. I understand. And now at this age, I don't understand. It's not okay to hide out. It's not okay to, uh, you know, uh, keep it secretively. There's something in this expression that wants to see the light of day as opposed to being held into a dungeon, uh, so to speak. So how do you, what does that work look like in practice? In practice, it means uh, when you got a song that scares you, uh, that you wrote, get out and play it. Uh, play it in the very places that will scare you. That's not what I want to hear. Basically, <laughs> yeah, I know, but that's just the way it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's not a, a tiptoe way through it. I mean, mm-hmm. um we have to, I think we have to put ourselves in those places, uh, and not foolishly so, you know, not foolishly, right. uh, but we have to make sure that we're going forward and that we're kind of taking care of that creative part of ourselves. If we're in, in if we're doing this creative stuff, mm-hmm. you know, if we're doing it, I think we need to do it and, and be courageous in, in, how we pursue that. So, for example, um, 
you know, writing a song that's so strong or so emotional or so true or so something, um, you may have to just get out there and do it uh, because uh, you're kind of being called forward on that because you got a song that kind of shows that something, something that scares you a little bit. Um, and, uh, another way, you know, for, in my case, you know, uh, I started as a side man, the guy at the side of the stage, making the guy in the center of the stage sound better because I'm a player Mm -hmm. and I sing harmony and I can make that person sound better, Mm -hmm. uh, by me being there, I think, because I'm footed in uh, making them sound better. That's just the brain space of a sideman, and I got it. I, I, that's how I grew up. Um, but I've had to transition and not leave that, but bring that over to this part that's now I stand in the center of the stage, and now I'm, I'm singing these songs, and I'm the one talking between songs and all, you know, all of that. So I've had to kind of push myself along, and, and the reason I could do that was because I had songs that were calling me to do that. Okay. You know, if I didn't, if I didn't have songs that were strong and brave and courageous and and bearing, you know, a sort of uh, bearing all or uh, working at that or trying to be truthful, then I wouldn't have made that transition. I would have had no reason to. But because I did have the song that I wrote in in isolation. Uh, so to speak, uh, it it called me to bring that forward to where you know I had to be in center stage, mm-hmm. uh, and not from uh, purely an egoic point of view, but because these things that I found in my isolation or writing um, caused me to I have to get out here and play these things. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, why did I get these songs? Why why did something so strong that stirred in me? show up and then what i keep it in my room mm. you know mm-hmm. I, I and i'll go out on a sideman gig and make you know or go on in sessions and make these kind of silly songs you know going on in music row at the time when i was a session player i you know hold those songs up and play and get paid for it and then my own songs at home are just going to sit there and languish i don't think so right. so uh in my case you know i started having success with songs and then, you know, financially to where it was like, I don't have to do these sessions, you know. Um, I like the sessions, a, a strong musicianship, but sometimes pretty weak songs. Uh, so I just transitioned out of that, uh, you know, and that was 20 years ago that I sort of did that as far as where, you know, I was doing tons of sessions. Um, so that's what it, you, you asked, you know, what would be a practical way for that to look? Uh, those are some examples of, of the practicality for me. Well, you just brought up something I wanted to ask you about, which was you've had this really fascinating career where you have been a sideman. You've also written all these, you've written several hits. You've had your own records now. Um, I mean, you've played with, you know, uh, Robert Plant, for God's sakes. And all of these different decisions and all these steps along the way, what how do you approach that decision making? Like how, how did you know, was it purely financial that you were like, all right, I don't have to do this particular path anymore. I'm going to write my own songs and, and chase down my own songs. 
or was there something more to that decision-making process? How do you make those big shifts in your career as, as you've kind of navigated this creative life? Well, in some ways, I don't think of it as a career, although I, I mean, I, I know that it, it is mm-hmm. in, in the meaning of career, but I don't, I don't think I walk around worried about my next step in the career. Things just sort of, uh, present themselves to me. Like, um, you know, I didn't seek Robert Plant out. I would have not had the imagination to have done so. Mm. Uh, but Buddy Miller, who was producing uh, the record, uh, and Buddy and Robert had become pals and wanted to work together. And Buddy's the one who called me to be in the, the band for the recording, so a four-piece band, Buddy and three others. And, um, and it was like, that's... That's damn interesting, you know. <laughs> um, and it's with great folks, of course. And it's it's Buddy producing. I love Buddy, and it's Robert Plant for God's sake. Of course, I'm going to go through that right. uh, as a two week session. Uh, you know, two weeks long uh, working on that, and then six months, you know, down away from the record. But the word was coming out that Robert wanted that same band out on the road. And uh, it was like I had my own album coming out literally the same week that uh, we were to start touring. So I had a decision to make, like, do I turn down, you know, working with Buddy and Patty and Robert Plant, or do I go and get my record out there in the normal way that I would get that out there, which is, I guess, go doing playing my own shows. And really, it just it felt like... Um, um, in some ways I left my record behind to join the Robert Plant thing, which we did for another year and a half. Um, and you know, uh, so some things were gained out of that certainly in career back to that word that, that I don't really think about, mm. uh, some things were gained and other things were lost. You know, I didn't represent that record out into the world very well when I'm filling my calendar with Robert Plant case, you know? Right. But the, 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 the payoff is, shit, how would you not play with Robert Plant? Exactly. And Buddy and Patty. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, that's what I did on that one uh, at that period of time, and I'm glad I did. And I have, to, I, would, I have to say if Robert or Buddy called tonight, uh, shit, I'll probably go do it. You know <laughs> right. what I mean? Because sure. it's who that is. And I know that, um, so I don't have a grand plan for my quote career. Mm. I kind of step through whatever door is open to me at any given time. And those doors change, you know, I used to be a bar player. And in some cases I, in that case, I forced myself out of the bars uh, at a young age, you know, at, you know, even 20 years old because I saw guys on the same bandstand I was on who were 40 and it was like, oh, I see how this would work. I'd stay here for like 20 years and be in the same place that I'm now in as a 20 year old. And I don't want to be that 40 year old cat, Mm. you know, at a house band, uh, honky tonk playing five nights a week. Mm. And so I just, 
so yeah, you could call that career, but the other one is I'm bored here, you know? Mm -hmm. So you could call it career planning, uh, or you could also call it like, what's drawing me forward? You know, what's, do I want to sit here and be a 40 year old, um, uh, bar player? Uh, and, and, you know, me as a 20 year old, uh, you know, observing that and, I didn't see that for myself. I saw it for myself, you know, until 20. Uh, and and then the, I was always felt like I was being called forward, sometimes in invisible kind of ways, just to uh, that I may not know where I was going, but I knew that I did not belong where I was. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like Sherlock Holmes uh deduction, uh, dear Watson. Right. It's you know what you don't want to do. You deduce uh what you don't want to spend your time doing and maybe what you do want to do or your next open door starts presenting itself almost like you have to fend yourself away from the thing you know you're not needing to do any longer. Everything you just said, it sounds incredibly brave and strong, though. Like making those decisions without necessarily having a, a grander plan, I think is the way you kind of put it. To me, that yeah. sounds like very strong and brave at the intersection of creativity and whatever the real world is. Yeah, I, I think I think it is brave. I think being an artist is a courageous undertaking. Yeah, uh, it's not for the weak of heart, it's not for the weak of stomach, and it's not for the weak of uh, vision. Mm -hmm. And because uh, there's all sorts of things that will just basically, on one level, kick your ass all along the way of, of you know, it just will. Uh, but it's. And there's also plenty of uh, reason to stay with the, the thing that you're calling brave. Uh, if, if you have that sort of inner thing that says, you just have to do this. And so I knew I needed to leave bars at 20 years old. I knew that. Mm -hmm. uh, I just knew, even if it was, it didn't matter what was the next thing, it ain't bar, bar playing, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and I knew that, and off I go to the great unknown, um, and then, you know, things are basically going to be all right, which is, what's that? Uh, food, shelter, and clothing, is that what we're all after? You know, mm -hmm. is that our basics? So food, shelter, and clothing followed me even when I left different things throughout, you know, my lifetime, uh, the next the next place was kind of waiting for me. Um, but it, it, I, yeah, there was some downtime in between. That was for sure. Man, that's another interesting point, especially we're recording this at a time that a lot of everyone's at home, hopefully, um, because of the COVID-19 virus and, and a lot of folk, everyone's handling things differently. And I think what's been interesting for me is that I am fortunate to have the food, shelter, clothing, uh, all the basic stuff taken care of. Like I'm okay. I'm going to be yeah. okay financially. Like everything's fine. Uh -huh. I just can't leave my damn house, which is actually yeah. fine. Cause I have a beautiful house and a yard mm -hmm. and a partner in life and a dog and internet and books. And so I've been able to actually 
write quite a bit and reach out to folks to podcast and I played talk about playing your songs. I just played a virtual open mic the other day and I played a song I hadn't played for anybody. And for whatever reason, I felt very confident doing that on the internet rather than in person. And so I broke through right. this barrier, you know, but how to navigate that um, at such a time is really interesting because for me, it's not all that difficult because my basic needs are taken care of. Whereas if I didn't have those basic needs taken care of, I do wonder how that would impact my creative process. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I've heard it said, I mean, you know, that, uh, to be able to do this kind of stuff is a luxury. You know, we put it in the luxurious cat category. If, if we have our, uh, you know, the food shelter clothing thing kind of handled or then that's a luxury to therefore we can, you know, now read more or write more or make more paintings or, all those things, because really right now, while we're all kind of in a lockdown or social distancing situation, whatever, uh, as we all try to figure out how to be healthy, you know, uh, in our homes, our communities, our country, our world, um, and while we're all figuring that out, there's another side to what's going on right now, which is uh, because of this forced time at home for folks, you know, they're either going to go batshit crazy because they're not used to it and and so or there's a forced time for some form of introspection right yes. now seems yeah. like to me mm -hmm. uh that comes with the territory yes introspection like you know like am i going to die you know is my grandfather going to die you know um are people i hear that have it going to die those, those kind of big questions but also like Hey, I'm getting a little taste of what it's like to not be on the uh, uh, hamster wheel. Hmm. <laughs> I wonder if I should keep some of this going af even after they've lifted the uh, social distancing Seriously. thing. Hmm. Seriously. Maybe I should read more in general. Maybe I should. You know what? You know what I mean? Hell yeah, I know Maybe what you I mean. Maybe I should uh, spend less money on stuff I don't need to spend money on. <laughs> Maybe buy more it's records. It's an opportunity. <laughs> Yeah, it's an opportunity to look at that, and you know, uh, and while we're in this kind of, it's happening naturally. I think I don't think, you know, like you know, anyone has to shout from the rooftops about it. I think it's naturally happening. You, you close us off of our normal hamster wheel thing. Uh, something's going to happen, and I don't mean the derogatory type stuff uh, only. Uh, there's going to be some and blooming and blossoming and growing and, um, you know, leaving one size box of into and leaping into a larger size box mm. out of this, I do believe. And, and that's also from a luxury point of view, I must add, that my um, food, shelter, and clothing um, is, is, is handled. Right. Uh, so I, I, I must state the luxury of that. Um, but I also have to say in a, in a silly ass way, uh, I've been social distancing like all, all along in an, in an odd way, you know, mm. uh, the artist is a social distancing, um, at least the way I've been doing it. Uh, it is an isolating thing. And I've been, I've been writing in a room or 
whatever of that kind of thing for a very long time. Uh, I live on a big piece of land that, um, you know, uh, we grow food here. We have animals, uh, and cattle and lambs and, and, uh, goats and stuff, um, grow vegetables and fruits and all that. And, um, so the food shelter clothing thing in my my world is taken care of, not big through magic. It's through a lot of hard work and a lot of planning and a lot of luck too. Of you know, for example, um, having songs do well and it makes money and and I can put my kids through college or buy a big piece of land like what I'm on right now. So. Um, I'll bet you there's going to be, um, there's, uh, you know, there's some good things coming out of, of this, uh, personal, uh, what is it, what's the name of getting, uh, social, uh, distancing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's going to be some good things coming out of this as well. I know there's a bunch of shit things going on too, without a doubt. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, um, uh, what comes out of it, I mean, outside of the, the virus itself, but that other stuff, that human stuff, I'm, I think it's already happening. I see it with more music, um, you know, on the Internet right now. A lot of, I'm, I'm getting off my ass, and, and I started a Patreon thing. Oh, cool. um, and, you know, I'm delving into content that I, I would never come out with, uh, I have the time to do it now. So I'm coming up with content that was only uh, a thought, you know, mm-hmm. two months ago. And now I'm actively bringing out stuff that um, never was going to come out, evidently. Uh, songs that folks have never heard, projects folks have never heard, uh, shows of archive stuff that no one's ever heard. Um, and that's just me, you know, socially distanced out here on my land and I see it, you know, other folks are coming forward and having internet shows. You just mentioned the other day, you did a, an internet, um, uh, open, open mic, mic. Yeah. and brought out a song you haven't brought out on a real open mic. So mm-hmm. things are happening. Yeah. <laughs> People well, are getting out of their certain comfort zones because we're kind of forced to right now. And I look forward to, to those human results. Yeah, I agree. I, I and I mean, with that particular song, it was just deeply personal. I mean, it's back to the circling back to the beginning of our conversation. It was deeply personal. It was about my grandmother, and of course, she's been on my mind even more right now. And so, yeah, uh, it just you know, I, I not having the pressure of I'm standing up on stage and these people are staring right at me. Um, for whatever reason, unlocked that fear for me, and I, I was able to play it, and it was really well received. And you know, now I I feel confident playing that song out. And the other thing I'm noticing, and we we live just outside of Orlando, and um, it's a kind of a little bit of a secluded suburban neighborhood. So it's real close to downtown, just a couple miles. But we have a little park near our house. It's a lake. Um, with a track around it and then our neighborhood is kind of uh, blocked off from the main highways and one of the things that has always struck me about this neighborhood is I never saw kids outside 
I, I mean, I know there are kids all throughout my neighborhood. I just, <laughs> in two plus years of living here, I never saw them riding their bikes or getting into mischief or whatever. And dude, I see kids every day now. They're out playing basketball and walking. And I go to the lake and I see whole families walking together. <laughs> Nobody's looking at their phone. Everybody's just walking around, laughing, smiling, you know, and it's like, there's, there's the smiles do seem to have like a little hint of apprehension or even fear in them, but there's, everyone's like so nice to each other. And, uh, I'm, I'm seeing interactions that I just haven't noticed before. And I, maybe they were there and I wasn't noticing them, but I don't think so. Cause I was out outside a lot and I never saw kids and it struck me. I never saw kids and all of a sudden I'm seeing that. So I, I think there are a lot of these quarantine silver linings that I, I hope, I hope continue beyond this particular crisis. Right. And that's, that's the whole, you know, the fact that we're all having more of those moments right now. And yes, we have to admit that the freak out moments has got to, is going to be part of it too, mm-hmm. just because of, uh, some of the shit we're hearing and having to, uh, put up with and having to wonder how true some of it is right. or, you know, all that crazy ass stuff. But there's also this other thing that you're mentioning, you know, so the brave, you know, you know, you mentioned uh, a while ago of of me at 20, you know, leaving the bars as I did. Um, that's that. There's other brave stuff there and and cool stuff going on, like you sing folks outside. Mm-hmm. The internet is causing you to sing a song and an open mic and all that kind of stuff. I think that's happening all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, the kindness thing. Uh, the uh you know feeling that we're all in this together all that it, that's the silver lining stuff that's going on yeah there's there's absolute shit storms brewing out there uh and we're all so human and um we will come out with some of our best ways of being right here under these kind of circumstances yeah that's beautiful man um, Daryl, I don't want to take much more of your time, but we always end with what, uh, you're consuming at the moment. And that's a perfect segue, right? So there's so much crazy stuff. Um, amazingly good stuff is what I mean on the internet right now in terms yeah. of watching people play and that kind of thing. Like, what are you fired up about yeah. music, art books? Like what, what are you fired up about right now? Art wise? Yeah. Uh, there's a series. And this is happening too. Check out what's happening in the art museums right now. So the art museums that have always been kind of hidden, you know, like you have to show up at the mm-hmm. place to mm-hmm. see such and such. They're opening their um, their uh, artworks onto the internet. So, for example, my wife belongs to Barnes, the Barnes Collection, um, uh, which is in uh, Philadelphia, like one of the greatest collections of art honestly in the world Mm -hmm. and so what they've done now those curators and people who work there they're doing a daily you know thing here's this painting and then talking about it uh in depth almost like you know college course type thing and then the next day here's another one so i'm watching that while my wife is seeing that and i'm seeing all that cool stuff um you know i'm more active on the internet style stuff the social, both really myself into it, because mm. uh, we're we're doing tons of stuff on the internet right now. Um, we have this Hank album coming out April 24th. We had that decision to make like 
with all this stuff going on, do I pull that and wait for another day? And the answer was no, we run right through this, you know. Mm. And while I don't have gigs to, quote, promote it or let folks know about it, we stayed on course for that. And as a matter of fact, added this Patreon thing to it now. So we're we're busier right now than almost if we were out there doing gigs. So interesting. Um, and the other thing I'm doing, just you know, just before we talked on the phone, I've got hundreds and hundreds of 78s of old records, mm-hmm. like crazy old stuff, um, that I, I've gone through some of them. And I got these from a friend who was just passing them on. He's collected them all of his lifetime, and now he's wanting to he's passing them on to someone who wants to hear them, and that's me. So I'm, I've got a 78 station where I'm playing old 78s, old blues, old classical, old, wow. you know, jazz, old country, old Appalachian. Uh, and I'm running, I'm running through those things during this time. Has anything struck Another you? Thing, Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but has oh, any, no, any okay. of those, have any of those records struck you? Like that? Oh yeah. Howling, Howling Wolf. Yeah. Uh, to hear Howling Wolf out of a 78 as opposed to whatever else we all have to listen to Howling Wolf. Man, he is frightening yeah. on a 78. Wow. Or um, uh, Big Mama Thornton, mm. uh, Hound Dog, I've been listening to, uh, Carter Family, um, Carrying Back to Old Virginia. I have that one on 78. Uh, uh, amazing stuff. So I'm hearing, you know, music they're sending in front of a microphone in whatever year, 1929, 1934, 1940-something, and you hear those people standing right in front of a mic, and here they are coming out of my speaker in the way that it, it's supposed to sound, you know, not in a digital this, that, and the other, but all the scratches and all the real stuff. So, And then uh, I'm also a food guy. I've been cooking my ass off during this time. I'm, awesome. making, I'm making stuff like crazy of uh, things I haven't tried before, uh, things that strike me to combine, you know, crazy stuff. Like, uh, I made more Indian food in the last two weeks than the rest of my life put together. Oh, why? Why, to, why that particularly? Well, because I have the ingredients, mm-hmm. and it's like, well, we're not going to an Indian restaurant. So um, it's kind of leaping, jumping off into, well, let me see if I can pull off a, a sock pin here. And mm-hmm. I don't have... You know, Indian cheese, I have feta cheese, but it's a pretty good substitute. Mm. Um, things like that. Um, yeah. um, just a lot of experimentation. Like right now on the wood stove, I've got a leg of lamb um, that we ate the, the meat off of, but I've got the leg, and I'm going to make a soup out of that. I've got a beef um, a roast that's being cooked on the wood stove right now, and I'll maybe make uh, Mexican food out of that. Mm. So it's just a big kind of, I wouldn't call it a party. This isn't a party. This is social distancing, (laughs) (laughs) which I'm pretty good at. Um, (laughs) And I don't, I don't have a gig to drive to. So I've got weeks at home. So I'm doing home stuff. Our garden is rocking. Our animals are rocking. Uh, we're more uh, Patreon and Facebooky and talking to you and you know all that stuff. So we're 
we're doing just fine. I know there's a lot of suffering going on in the world, but um, we seem to be turning this into um, uh, a positive thing. And I think for a, I think I bet a lot of your listening listeners are in the same boat. Uh, I hope so, because this is the silver lining. This is an opportunity. Mm-hmm. I know it's a bunch of sh- it's a shit show, but it's also an opportunity to check out how we might spend time if we weren't doing the hamster wheel. Um, I love that. That's beautiful. Daryl. Yeah, th- man. Thank you so much, man. This was more than I could have expected. I, I'm just so grateful for your time and your energy. Um, I'm, and I'm fired up to go create right now. Thank you so much. Absolutely, man. Thanks for your interest. Scott, y'all. Thank you so much, Daryl. DarylScott.com for everything Daryl Scott. Uh, My Sweet Love Ain't Around is the song that you're hearing courtesy of the artist in this episode. Um, So much to unpack here about Daryl, and um, most of you listening to this show are probably already into his career and are fans of his, but if you're not... There's a lot to, to, to dig up and a lot to listen to and learn about him. Um, I, I'm just, I, it's uh, definitely a pinch me kind of episode. I'm really, really grateful for this opportunity. Daryl also has a Patreon where he releases all kinds of cool stuff. Um, while you're over on Patreon, check out our Patreon community, where for just a few bucks a month, you can gain access to our Patreon exclusive content, like the Patreon-only show, Jason's Journey, where I talk about the moments that have shaped my creative life. We also recently released part two of episode 57 with Matt Woods exclusively on Patreon. Uh, Overall, it's just a deeper way to interact with the show. I run ideas by our Patreon community. They really support, um, and it's it's a huge help to us. Um, I'm about to order some hats. Uh, that we will that will be up for sale. We wouldn't be able to do that really necessarily to take that risk if not for our Patreon community. Um, I also am planning if we are able to hopefully get out of this um, COVID crisis and uh, the curve flattens and we can get somewhat back to normal. I'm planning several different trips to go uh, interview amazing creatives throughout the year. And that's all thanks to our Patreon community. If that kind of commitment's too much, I totally get it, especially right now. Um, 
you know, but if you like what we're doing and you want to maybe contribute a little bit, uh, that's cool too. We've got a Venmo. It's just the marinade at the marinade. So if you want to just throw a couple bucks because you appreciate one episode, that'd be awesome. If not, that's totally cool too. Um, every feature and bonus episode will always be free. That's just how we operate. Um, and, uh, I'm just grateful that you listen. The, the other free stuff you can do to help us out is tell a friend about the show. That makes a big difference. Word of mouth is probably the biggest way that you can support the marinade, um, subscribe and rate us on your podcast app. That's big too. Give us a follow on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, we love interacting with friends and fans over on those channels, especially Twitter, um, but I'm pretty active on on all three. So send us a message, uh, give us a like, retweet, um, share, whatever you can do to, to help spread the word. Um, we have so many amazing things coming up, and I'm just really, really grateful that we continue to be able to do this despite how uh, upside down the world feels right now. All right, y'all, it's time for what I'm getting down on, the segment of the show where I talk about the art that is inspiring me at the moment. My partner Chris and I have like really had well-synced schedules of late, which has led to us watching films and shows almost nightly, and we don't usually get to do that. So this has been one of the quarantine silver linings is that we're able to consume art together and bring different ideas uh, to the table. Ryan Johnson's Knives Out, we finally watched just a really fun film. It's a murder mystery Super silly and lighthearted, um, despite the subject matter. Uh, Daryl Craig is hilarious in it. He uh, co-stars with my new favorite actor, Lakeith Stanfield, who uh, is, of course, in Atlanta and plays the protagonist in Sorry to Bother You. Uh, I just can't get enough of him. And there's a, a star-studded cast in general. We also really enjoyed the Netflix series Unorthodox, which is based on a memoir by Deborah Feldman, who grew up in an Orthodox Jewish community in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, the Satmar sect um, of Hasidic Judaism. You know, that is one that um, I, I'm, I'm curious, especially if we have any listeners who grew up in an Orthodox Jewish community. Um, I'm curious how the cult-like circumstances portrayed in the film compare to real life. Uh, I honestly am kind of ignorant to fundamental Judaism. I just have kind of a rudimentary understanding, and I and I seek to understand more. Um, and I'm always fascinated with questions of cultural relativism. Uh, the show brings up a lot of those kinds of questions. It is really wonderfully acted. Um, and that, that's what stands out the most about it. Just incredible performances. So check that show out. Like most of the world, I've been listening to the new Fiona Apple. Um, I've heard it described as fearless and powerful on all those adjectives that you would normally think of when you think of Fiona Apple records and all that's certainly true. Um, I'm just taken by how fresh it sounds and that's what I've really been searching for right now is making sure that life isn't monotonous just because um, it can feel that way right at the moment, of course. And she breaks through that monotony. <laughs> she sounds like the fed up, uh, a fed-up Kool-Aid man bursting through the wall and then ransacking the room. Um, I've also been listening to um, Quelle Chris. His last record was Guns. I think it was 2018. Just great, man. Um his work with Jean Grey, uh, who's also his fiance, is awesome. Um, his work with all, all kinds of folks. It's that 
um, I, and I don't even know what you call that genre, but the Earl sweatshirt kind of sounding hip hop, um, that that's that whatever that is, <laughs> I should probably do some research on what you call that even, but I love that shit, man. That kind of sludgy kind of dreamy hip hop, um, is something that, that really moves me and his stuff is outstanding and it's kind of led me in different directions too. It's been fun to kind of see, uh, his collaborators and, and chase down those those as well um just so much great stuff right now i'm in really great headspace to to take in new art and to take creative risks um been writing songs as much as possible um been reading everything i can get my hands on finally it it was like there was a block there for a while where i couldn't stay focused on anything and now i'm i'm finally revisiting steve silberman's neurotribes and really enjoying it there's a an excellent article in the Atlantic that I just read. Also, how to destroy a government. Um, the president is winning his war on America's institutions. It's by George Packer in the Atlantic. Uh, I read the Atlantic religiously, and uh, this is one of the better one better pieces I've read in a long time. I, I'm trying to be careful not to continually read things that just reinforce what I believe, but. Um, but that one goes into a lot of detail about just how corrupt the Trump administration is. And I know that, that a lot of ink has been spilled about that particular topic. Uh, this piece though is real succinct and, uh, and, and yet detailed. So I really recommend that. And, um, man, just any ideas you guys have, things that you want me to do with the show, send them my way because I, I, I'm really open right now to, to different things. I've got potentially a project with my friend Patrick Hagerman, who's an incredible songwriter um, that I don't want to go into too much detail on, but I think I will talk about over on Patreon, patreon.com slash marinade podcast. And uh, it, it, it's going to delve into some of the, it's going to be kind of topical. So, um, that look for that coming up pretty soon. But also if you have any thoughts, if if there's anybody you want me to reach out to, I'm working on some really cool guests and trying to line up time with them. But if you have any, anything else that you want me to do or, um, anything you want to see from the marinade, throw those suggestions my way. You can, you can hit us up on Twitter or Facebook, uh, or Instagram. However, we're pretty accessible. (laughs) Um, leave them a comment on marinadepodcast.com. There's all kinds of ways to, to get in touch with us. Thank you again to Daryl Scott for lending your time and wisdom, sir. Just an incredible episode. I'm so grateful. Thank all of you for listening. Everybody be safe. If you're in the headspace to go out and create something, do so. If not, be gentle with yourself. Until next time, cheers, y'all.